Welcome to Jury Duty, I'm your host, Chris Terracone. Season 8 of Jury Duty explores the trial of Alex Murdoch, a member of one of the most powerful families in South Carolina, who is accused of murdering his son Paul and his wife Maggie, with the purpose of covering up a multitude of alleged crimes including fraud and homicide. In our last episode, we concluded our look at the in-camera testimonies of Michael Satterfield and Carson Burney. In this installment, the jury is welcomed back into the courtroom for the testimony of Tom Darnell, a fingerprint examiner for the State Law Enforcement Division of South Carolina. That's all coming up right after the break. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. It is late on the morning of February 3rd, 2023, day 8 of the trial of Alex Murdoch. In our last episode, we continued our review of the in-camera hearing over the admissibility of financial crimes evidence in the case, with our coverage of the testimonies of Michael Satterfield, whose mother Gloria Satterfield died from a fall while working as the Murdoch's housekeeper, and Carson Burney, a forensic accountant. As we begin today, the jury is welcomed back into the courtroom by Judge Clifton Newman, as the prosecution calls Tom Darnell to the witness stand. Mr. Darnell is in his early 60s. He sports glasses with brown plastic frames and has a bald pate surrounded by a horseshoe of graying hair. He wears a gray suit with a white shirt and a yellow tie. Savannah Gowd handles the questioning of the witness for the state. She begins by asking Mr. Darnell about his professional background and training. Good morning, Agent Darnell. Good morning. Could you tell the jurors um, where you work? I am a fingerprint examiner at the State Law Enforcement Division uh, Forensic Crime Lab. Prosecutor Gowd takes the witness through his qualifications as a fingerprint expert. Mr. Darnell tells Judge Newman and the jury that he has earned a Bachelor of Science degree in Criminal Justice from the University of South Carolina. In 1990, he transitioned to the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, or SLED, during his tenure at SLED, he was part of the crime scene department. He has comprehensive in-house training with the department and out-of-state training in fingerprint science and analysis. After Judge Newman qualifies Tom Darnell as an expert, Prosecutor Gowd continues. All right, Agent Darnell, could you just kind of tell us in general about fingerprint evidence? Well, basically, um, fingerprint evidence can be most anything. Uh, it can be items that are porous, items that are non-porous, items that come to SLED and where we get requested to process them to see if we can identify any fingerprints that might be on the surface. Fingerprints are primarily moisture. About 98% of the fingerprint that may be left on the surface is nothing more than moisture, perspiration, or sweat, if you want to call it sweat. And then once we determine the type of evidence that we have, then we try to uh, develop it, we try to enhance any impressions that might be there. One thing to keep in mind is that in most cases, the fingerprints that we're trying to develop are invisible, basically latent. A latent print means just that, hidden or invisible. So it would require some 
enhancement. And how or what is the process of finding these hidden fingerprints? Well, we, we have uh, several different uh, techniques that we can use, uh, everything from uh, super glue fuming to alternate light sources to fluorescent dye stains to different chemicals that we can use. There's also the, the black fingerprint powder which is still being used. We don't use a whole lot of that in our laboratory today, but we, we tend to go with the uh, fluorescent dye stains and the different light sources. It just depends on the type of evidence that we're trying to process. And now you mentioned, was it, um, you say super glue fuming? Yes, ma'am. Um, could you describe how that works? Super glue, what we do is we take the evidence. First of all, it has to be a non-porous surface. Uh, that and, and can evidence, you give us an example of a non-porous surface versus a porous surface? A non-porous would be like a, a, a can, a gun, a cartridge case. Porous would be like paper, a paper cup, paper plate, a piece of, uh, uh, like a handwritten note or a check or something like along that line. But the super glue is, is a commonly used process across the country, in fact, across the world, and the superglue is simply heated, and it creates a vapor or a fume, and that vapor will affix itself to any impressions that might be present on the surface. It enables us to see it better, and it, and it also enables us to use a different technique or a different step of the process when it comes to trying to enhance the impression. And when um, that print, I guess, is revealed, in the fuming process, what do you do to analyze the print? Well, once we get the print developed, we uh, photo uh, have it photographed. We have the, the luxury of having a photo studio within our laboratory, and uh, we have a, 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 a photographer that will document that for us uh, photographically so that we can then compare it to any known standards that we may be asked to compare it to. So you would use the photograph for comparison purposes? Yes, ma'am. You don't do any kind of lifts of the print or anything like that? I have. I've done lots of lifts over my career with the black powder and the, and the clear tape, which is what most of you are probably familiar with. But uh, in this case, it was black powder was not used. Uh, it, this was, I was working strictly off of a photograph. Um, so you did receive some items to test in this case for fingerprints? I did. I'm going to have you take a look at tapes exhibit 63, 64, 65. 66, 67, and 68. Prosecutor Gowd hands Mr. Darnell six small fingerprint evidence packets to examine. Are those 200 blackout shell cases that you received to process for fingerprint evidence? It is. And did you find any evidence on those cases? Actually, I did not. Uh, there was uh, what we call, the, the result that I used in this, with these items was that there was no fingerprint evidence was observed. Would you expect to find fingerprint evidence on fire cases? We don't find a lot of uh, developed prints on cartridge cases. It, it does happen. We do find fingerprints on cartridge cases, but just not, not a great deal. A lot of that has to do with the fact that the cartridge cases, uh, are they're, they're exposed to heat, they're exposed to uh, friction, and since fingerprints are so fragile, a lot of times that is probably a couple of reasons why we don't find a lot of prints on cartridge cases. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. 
Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Prosecutor Savannah Gowd hands Mr. Darnell two more small evidence packets containing shotgun shells. All right, did you also receive State's Exhibit 33 and 34 to test or examine for fingerprint evidence? I did. Did you find any fingerprint evidence on those shot shells? I did not. And again, would you expect to find fingerprint evidence on items of that nature? You know, we, we, we always make the attempt. Sometimes we're surprised when we process evidence that something will develop. I, I personally don't have, a, I've not had a lot of success with getting prints on shot shells. It's not to say that it hasn't happened. And um, you said you've been doing this for about 30 years? Yes, ma'am. And in that time, have you ever found yourself a fingerprint on a fired case or shot shell? I can't recall that I have developed anything that I can identify. I have developed wrist detail or I have developed uh, fingerprints on cartridge cases, but I can't recall honestly having a case where I was able to actually identify. Did you also receive a um, shotgun to check for fingerprint evidence? I did. That being State's Exhibit 4, a Benelli Super Black Eagle 3. Did you find any fingerprint evidence on that weapon? I did not. What else did you do with that weapon while you had it? Uh, one of the, uh, there was an additional request to have it swabbed for, D, for touch DNA, uh, which, which I did. I swabbed various areas of the uh, shotgun for DNA purposes. Prosecutor Gowd next hands the witness a bag containing evidence swabs. And I will hand you State's Exhibit 307. Are those the swabs that you collected from that shotgun? Yes, ma'am. It has the date that I collected it. It has my name and my initials and on the envelopes as well as on the seal. Your Honor, this time we move states 307 into evidence. The swabs from the shotgun. I'm not sure which shotgun. The Benelli that was recovered at the scene. Yes. No objection. It's admitted. Where on that gun you collected those swabs? Yes, ma'am. Could you tell the jury? I, uh... Swab the trigger, I swab the rear stock, front stock, and the ejection lever on the shotgun. Yes, and that, that's the two areas that I swabbed. And why would you have swabbed those particular areas? Well, typically in a, in a case involving guns, shotguns, pistols, uh, we, we typically swab the trigger separately to possibly get a print on the trigger as, as who might have last had their finger on the trigger. And then we swab other areas of the gun that might be more conducive for touch DNA versus latent prints. Anytime we get something that we have a latent print request and a DNA request, we have to try to determine which area to swab, which, which area is typically handled by someone that might give us the best chance for any type of forensic evidence, whether it be DNA or latent prints. And did you also swab um, the head stamps of um, those two shot shells? Uh, yes, I did. And those swabs are in states 307 up there, but the other swabs, is that correct? That's correct. Did you have an occasion to also examine Paul's cell phone? I did. Gowd again retrieves an evidence bag and hands it to Mr. Darnell. Are those the swabs that you collected from Paul Murdo's cell phone? 
these are swabs that I took from a cell phone. I, I don't know for sure whose phone it was, but but I, these are swabs that I took from the phone, which was my item 25. And could you um, refer to your report to tell us what item 25 is listed as? Item 25 is listed as a, a one iPhone cell phone, black in color with a clear case. Did you also examine that cell phone for fingerprints? I did. Did you find anything fingerprints on the phone? I did not find anything that I could identify. Um, I found a very small amount of fingerprint evidence on the phone. The result that I had to render uh, was what we refer to as no value for comparison, which what that simply means is that there was the evidence of someone's fingers having come in contact with the phone. There just was not enough detail, not enough clarity for me to be able to compare it to anyone. Do you recall examining some other um, shotguns or rifles in this case? Yes, ma'am. That would be a 300 blackout rifle, a Mossberg shotgun, a Browning shotgun, and another Benelli shotgun? That's correct. Did you find any fingerprints on any of those guns? Nothing that I could identify. Um, again, the result of no value for comparison was the result that I uh, reported. And if a gun is has a camouflage print, for example, would that make it harder to find fingerprints on that weapon? Well, not not necessarily. Uh, we, we have we have different. We have some some very bright lights that we would use to to help us pick up anything that might be um, on a camouflage type surface. Keep in mind, we're spraying a fluorescent dye stain prior to using the light source, so that does help us see the prints much better. There are some areas on these shotguns that were textured, which would not be very conducive to prints. But as far as the camouflage area, you know, it, it, it makes it a little little harder to, to see, but we do have the means to be able to analyze it uh, thoroughly. And these items that we've been talking about, when you process them for fingerprint evidence, you use the super glue fuming method? Yes, ma'am. While you were processing those guns, did you collect um, swabs from each gun? Yes, ma'am. Prosecutor Dowd next hands the witness an evidence bag containing envelopes with swab samples from each of the guns she and the witness had just discussed. One hand you state's exhibit 308, if you take a look at that. Yes, ma'am. These, these are the envelopes that I placed the swab from, this, from the shotguns. I just got my date and initials and where it came from on the shotgun. After Judge Newman admits the envelopes into evidence without objection from the defense, Prosecutor Gowd moves on to another series of questions. Now, did you receive a 30-round magazine that was full of 300 blackout cartridges? I did. Did you test that item for fingerprint evidence? I did. Did you find any fingerprints on that magazine? It was, again, as, as the shotguns, it was all no value for comparison. Um, what about each of the bullets that was in that magazine? Did you examine them in any way? Yes, ma'am. I, I took each one of them out of the uh, magazine and processed all of them individually. Did you find any fingerprint evidence on those bullets? Uh, no, ma'am. I did not. And what did you do with these swabs that you collected? Once I collect the swabs, I allow them to air dry, and then I, once I secure them into envelopes, I seal them, put my date, uh, initials, and then I package them up accordingly, and they ultimately wind up with the uh, DNA department. Uh, I believe in this case, I, I took them down to our evidence control department, and then DNA will pick them up from there. With that, Prosecutor Gowd concludes her direct examination of Mr. Darnell. 
Defense Attorney Dick Harpudlian then rises to begin his cross-examination of the witness. All these items were processed in the lab, is that correct? That's correct, yes, sir. And help me to understand this. Um, you processed um, three shotguns? I believe that was right, yes, sir. Um, you processed, were any of them loaded with, with shotgun shells? I don't recall them being loaded. So you did not process any of the, if they were loaded, you didn't process any of the shells in them? Um, I, I, normally, when a weapon comes into the laboratory, it's, it's cleared and unloaded prior to it getting to our laboratory. So or had they been loaded, they would have been unloaded prior to me receiving them, and I would have processed what had been inside the weapon at that time. So the, the weapon we identified earlier as 22, item number 22, the camo Benelli Super Black Eagle two unfired shotgun shell. Process that at the lab? Yes, sir. Was the gun loaded when it came to you? My notes do not indicate that it was loaded. And as, as I said, uh, normally when a, when a weapon, a shotgun, comes into the laboratory, it's, it's, it's unloaded prior to it coming to me. Uh, my notes indicate that it was not loaded. And the other shotguns, uh, I mean, I've looked at your analysis on them, but there were no fingerprints of evidentiary value on the three other shotguns, right? That's correct. Um, but there's no indication that you processed, the, if they had been loaded and unloaded, any of those shotgun shells, correct? That's correct. I, I only processed what was, what was given, brought into the laboratory. And you processed those on June 9th, is that correct? That sounds right, yes, sir, June 9th. Okay. Now, the cartridges, there's a bullet, and then there's a casing on, on a typical semi-automatic weapon. Were you ever asked to, you were asked to process the ejected cartridges that were involved in the uh, in the murder, correct, the 308? I mean, the yep. 300 blackouts? Yes, sir. And those had been fired. And what you indicated that once a bullet or a shotgun shell had been fired, it heats up. Is that, is that yeah. why you can't get a fingerprint off of it? Well, that, that would be one possible explanation. Heat, friction, they're on the ground. You know, weather can have an effect sometimes if it's raining or if it's hot or cold. There are lots of things that could have an effect on whether or not a print would be left. And I think your testimony is that if not rarely never found fingerprints on an expended casing. Is that correct? Well, I, I wouldn't say rarely never. I know of cases in our laboratory that have been uh, able to identify prints on cartridge cases. It just doesn't happen very often, but it, do, it does happen. Okay, but then you processed um, a number of, there was a, a uh, magazine with a number of 308, I mean 300 blackout shells that had never been fired, correct? Yes, sir. Bullets, I'm sorry. That's correct. And that, that's, that's a brass, piece of brass, right? Yes, sir. I mean, is a piece of brass conducive to fingerprints? Uh, yes, sir. It can be. Yes, sir. Any evidence these bullets have been uh, the bullets have been wiped or something, or just I mean, give the police explain to the jury why you wouldn't normally get fingerprints off of a piece of brass, a unspent bullet. Why is that? Well, you got to keep in mind that a, that a latent print is, is nothing more than or mostly moisture. Uh, they're very fragile. It doesn't take much to, to wipe a print off of, of the surface. The cartridges I think that you're speaking of were in a magazine, so they've been they've been shoved into a magazine. You know, then you got to get them out. Uh, so you got you got friction there going on. Most any you know anything any surface that's smooth and and fairly clean and not corrugated or textured can be conducive to prints. I have developed prints on cartridges before. It just doesn't happen very often. Again, it's a brass surface, almost a polished brass surface. Did you say because it's mostly moisture, isn't there some oil involved in that from the fingers? 
or am I wrong about that? Well, you would have, as far as the coming from your fingerprints, from the fingers or well, from I mean, the finger that uh, I mean, it's always just moisture. It, it's mostly 98 to 99 percent moisture, uh, and then you might have some other substances mixed in there. Uh, but it's mostly mostly just sweat is what's you, left behind. You do retrieve fingerprints, do you not? You find fingerprints on things. Oh yes, sir. I, I've I've uh, developed quite a few prints in my 30 years of doing this. And once you develop a print, you can compare it based on how many points you have to have a, to do a comparison. Well, match. well, there, there's no, there's no set number in this country uh, there, where you have to have a certain minimum number of points. You just have to have a sufficient amount of clarity and, and, and to be able to determine that an impression was made by a certain individual. Harpoodlian then pivots to asking Mr. Darnell a series of questions about the crime scene investigation at the Moselle Road property. Okay, um, did you ever go to the scene of these murders? No, sir, I did not. You were not called out that night? No, sir. So the forensic folks that went out there, to your knowledge, did they throw any powder down? Did they do anything to find any fingerprints that night? I honestly don't know. Um, I, I did not look at their um, notes from their crime scene or, or what have you. I really had no uh, real reason to. I was just asked to process the things that they brought. Let me ask you this. You've got a doorknob right here. I just grabbed it to open it. It's brass. Would that leave a fingerprint? It, it's possible. You you have again. You have to consider how much someone perspires when they touch something. You have to consider how soon after the doorknob was touched did someone else grab the doorknob? Because a latent print is extremely fragile. It doesn't take much to obliterate a print. If you're on the scene, you'd look. If 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 I was on the scene and I felt like that area was accessed by someone, I I probably would have checked. Yes. I mean, if you, if the if the it, it appeared that there had been uh, a, a shotgun blast to the victim inside a room behind that door. Um, and you didn't know whether the door was open or closed before that person was shepherded in there or walked in there. Uh, you would want to at least look at the knob, right? Yes, sir. I, I, I probably would. But, uh, you know, I was not on this scene, so I don't I don't really know exactly what all they had going on. So, But, uh, but if... With your scenario that you're speaking of, yes, sir, I, and, I, I probably would have checked. And you would expect to see notes somewhere uh, from the crime scene folks that they uh, looked at the doorknob. But you can't just eyeball it. Don't you have to put some powder on it, or don't you have to put something on it to raise the, the visibility of the fingerprint? Yes, sir. In, in in some cases, you can actually see a print if it if it's more of a what we call a patent print. A patent print is a print that might be left behind with a you know in a in a residue. It could be in grease, could be in blood, it could be in dirt, uh, anything such as that. So, but ordinarily, when you go to look for prints, you've got to do some sort of processing to uh, a surface, depending on the surface and depending on just what you're trying to what you're trying to do. Harpoodling's next question appears to upset Alex Murdoch as he bows his head and begins rocking front to back in his seat. So, if you had a relatively small room where uh, somebody head exploded and blood and all kinds of bodily fluids were sprayed over the inside of that room. You would want to take a meticulous examination of that room to see if there are any fingerprints in blood or, or other bodily fluids, would you not? Would you? I, I, I would, yeah. And you would expect to see something in some report by the crime scene folks where they actually did such an examination, would you not? Would you expect to see notes detailing that they at least looked at it. Yes, sir. I mean, I, you know, again, this is 
you know, I wasn't at the scene. I, I, I can, but if you're describing this type of a scene, if it was me, I, I, I would take notes, you know, detailed notes, you know, because, you know, photographs, notes, sketches, all that kind of goes hand in hand. You would also expect to see um, any, any, any surface that could have come into contact with um, perpetrator um, to have been processed, either photographed or processed in some way. You would expect to see that in the notes of the crime scene investigators, correct? I, I would think in the notes or, or, in, or in their, you know, testimony or anything such as that, you know, there, there should be something to explain what was done, yes, sir. Do you know if there was a fingerprint person or somebody that had those skills in the crime scene uh, team that came out that night? I don't know. I know that there was no one from the Lake Printing Department where I work at the scene um, that day. Do you go out to crime scenes? Do you go to crime scenes? I've, I've done plenty in, the, in my earlier days. I have not been on crime scenes for quite some time. You have people in your Lake Printing Unit that do go to crime scenes? Not really. Um, the the Lake Print Department, the way it was set up, we, we pretty much are in, in the laboratory setting and we, we process evidence that comes in from crime scenes. Uh, we don't typically go to the crime scene. And so I guess if I'm summarizing this, everything they had you look at, you looked at in the lab. Yes, sir. And you found no, when I say identifiable prints, it sounds to me like you found no evidence of any prints. Well, I, I found any time I report something is no value for comparison, that means that I did find evidence of fingerprints. It just wasn't enough to compare it to anyone. When any time I say nothing was observed, that means there was nothing observed. No value for comparison on the cell phone. That would mean you saw something, but you didn't have enough to compare. Uh, yes, sir. And, you know, the, no, it, was, it was no value. You know, keep in mind, again, their latents are fragile. Um, you've got weather involved, water, rain, that sort of thing uh, certainly uh, is, is detrimental to uh, fingerprint evidence being left behind. Other than the cell phone, everyone else says no fingerprint evidence was observed. That would mean there was nothing, not even a partial, right? Yes, sir. Anytime that result is in the report, that's what that means. Yes. Other than the cell phone, you didn't even find a, any, any evidence of fingerprints, not a partial, not a smudge, not anything. Well, I, I believe there were some additional uh, long guns that came into me where I did get no value for comparison, but the initial shotgun that came into me was nothing was observed, yes, sir. And the initial shotgun would have been number 22. Yes, sir, that's correct. Um, and would it surprise you to know that uh, Mr. Murdoch was seen holding that shotgun, had actually retrieved it? From his house, it down Your to Honor, the Prosecutor Savannah Goud objects that Harpulian is leading the witness to such an extent that he himself is offering testimony. Judge Newman asks the defense counsel to respond to the objection. Response? I'm just citing evidence that the state's already put into evidence. I'm not testifying to it. It's these are facts that have been already established by the state. He's an expert. He can opine. And the objection overruled. Defense attorney Harpulian reiterates his question for Mr. Darnell. Would it surprise you to know that Mr. Murdaugh was seen that evening when first responders came holding that shotgun and the state has indicated, um, I mean, that's not conflict, um, no one's challenging that, and yet there were no, I mean, he found no evidence of fingerprints, is that correct? Right, yes, sir, and you know, that prints aren't always left on surfaces when you touch them, just because... You touch something does not mean you're going to leave a print, um, and there are all kind of variables as to why. Would you agree with me you found no prints on any of the items you, you were asked to examine? 
cartridge cases, fired, unfired, shotguns, the shells in the shotguns. Uh, you just found no prints whatsoever. I, I found none of value for comparison, which tells me that there there was something there, but it just wasn't of value for to compare. And it's only on the uh, cell phone. The cell phone, and then the additional long guns that came into me uh, later. Harpodlian concludes his cross-examination of Mr. Darnell. Prosecutor Savannah Gowd again rises for a brief redirect. Um, Agent Darnell, um, you were previously um, lieutenant of crime scene? Uh, yes, ma'am. I was actually promoted to lieutenant over the Lake Print Crime Scene Department in 1998, where I was in that role for about six years. And um, in your experience in that position, are um, crime scene personnel trained to look for fingerprints at a crime scene? Yes, ma'am. Back when I was a lieutenant over the crime scene department, we used to do the crime scene, we did the printing, we did we did everything. Now it's 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 two separate departments. We have a late print department and we have a crime scene department. The crime scene department, as I understand it, they are trained in how to process crime scenes, which would include how to uh, process certain things on the on scene for fingerprints. For in other words, if it was something that was large and not not uh, not able to transport back to the laboratory. They do get some training in how to process for prints. And with such a bloody scene, did you get any bloody prints in this case? I, I was not uh, submitted any uh, bloody prints uh, in this case. Thank you. Have a call, please. Thank you. Thank you. You may step down. Thanks, sir. And with the conclusion of Tom Darnell's testimony, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Alex Murdoch. Please join us on our next installment as we review the testimony of various other agents from South Carolina's Law Enforcement Division. Also, check out the Crime Story podcast, Night Raid, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced, written, and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty.